Hello and welcome back to Hey All You Zombies, our weekly podcast about counterculture and the kind of goofy, crazy stuff that often doesn't get addressed, although we, we do talk about a couple of things that are popular. Uh, I am joined, uh, as always, by our resident cat from Japan, Mr. Richard Krauss. Yes, yes, Ziggy Stardust. I like it. I like it. I'm not really in Japan. I'm just a huge David Bowie fan. You know, it's it's funny because it's gotten to the point where we might as well call this podcast "Hey, all you Bowie fans." Well, there's yeah, there's a little bit of that. I mean, I try to to separate the two unsuccessfully quite often, but I try and uh, keep them uh, separate. Although this week you're going to tie it's it's you with the Bowie story, not me. So well, that's what I mean. Like it, it's and, and it's unintentional because when we first started this podcast, you spoke about Bowie because it, it's your personal passion. But at the time. There, there wasn't much Bowie out there in the world. It, it was almost like the end. We were never going to hear about David Bowie again, and then that dramatic... Oh, there's always Bowie out there in the world. It's just right. whether you're attuned to seeing it or not. But lately, it's been nuts. Lately, yeah. with the new album and the show at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London and uh, the videos being banned on YouTube and whatever else, there's a new Bowie story every day now. Yeah. It's crazy. We're, of course, going to dive into that uh, very, very soon. But I wanted to tease that a little bit later uh, in this podcast, we're going to talk about this crazy image here. And for our audio-only audience, what I'm putting up on the screen is a large group of people with face makeup that uh, makes them look like they are badgers, black and white face makeup. This whole picture relates heavily to Queen guitarist Brian May, and this is just the tip of the crazy, crazy iceberg. I will talk and explain all a little bit later on. I mean, they, they look like uh, Badgers or like an all-girl Kiss tribute band. Yeah, the Kiss Army. Uh, if, 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 you know, the Spice Girls and Kiss got together, what maybe the next generation of pop stars would look like? It kind of looks like that, yeah. <laughs> so, Chris Hatfield is uh, back on Earth. He yeah. landed safely and soundly yesterday. and uh, But before he landed, I mean, I, I can't remember and now maybe i'm just you know maybe i'm missing something huge but i can't remember since the original moon landing really that messages from outer space by astronauts have taken up so much uh space in the kind of popular cultural realm uh you know i think of you know one small step for man you know giant leap for mankind that obviously everybody knows where that's from we all get that and i'm not sure that that chris hackfield uh, hit anything that in 50 years that we're going to be saying as that saying, but uh, man, did he ever uh, become a superstar based on, you know, uh, using Twitter and singing with the bare naked ladies from space. I mean, it's really, really cool what he did up there. Yeah, it's, it's been an astonishing run. So he was the commander of uh, what they call Expedition 35 on board the International Space Station. They always have three astronauts up there conducting experiments, but also trying to popularize uh, space exploration. And uh, although, yes, there have been astronauts uh, before him, most notably Don Pettit, an American astronaut who used YouTube 
to be able to do really great videos about what's happening in space. Uh, he did a clip for the Angry Birds video game on iPad that showed how space gravity was going to affect how Angry Birds would do their slingshots. And it was great, great stuff. But there's something very specific about Chris Hadfield's run. He did some stuff that just knocked it right out of the park in terms of, of just communicating with people and, and giving them exactly what it was that they wanted. I mean, you have the photographs that he's been taking and tweeting on Twitter. Amazing photographs in terms of the surface of the planet. That conversation he had with William Shatner. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I know. I mean, it really was, uh, it was entertaining. This was maybe the, the first of these uh, trips that has been truly entertaining in a, in, a, in a way that's different than, you know, being interesting scientifically or being, uh, you know, something that's pretty cool. This was actually very entertaining. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it's him. A lot of it's him. He's, a, he's an interesting guy uh, with a unique outlook. And, you know, he's been an astronaut for 20 years and, you know, all that. Like, he knows, he knows what he's doing, but he also seems to have a very playful side as well. He just gets it. He seems to be the kind of person that people immediately want to adopt, mm -hmm. to want to hang out with. Uh, it wasn't just that, you know, when William Shatner tweeted him that he merely responded. It was the way that he responded, calling William Shatner captain, uh, using the, the complete vernacular of Star Trek and saying, we're in orbit and we've maintained it. You know, I mean, it was just enough to drive people just crazy, just wild. But, uh, I mean, you know, when he tweeted on Sunday, because this was coming to the end of his expedition and he was going to have to return, uh, that he had posted a video of him singing Space Oddity, uh, I think everybody, there was no sense of surprise because NASA has always used David Bowie's songs. I mean, you know, from Life on Mars to Starman, uh, even his, his first song, Space Oddity, came out as, you know, Neil Armstrong was stepping onto the moon. Bowie has said that he was over the moon when he saw they were using his song as background for Neil Armstrong stepping on the moon. It just blew him away. He had no idea. So, I mean, everybody kind of thought this was just going to be a continuation of that. Of course, you know, NASA and, and JPL, they always use David Bowie's song. I don't think anybody was prepared, though, for just how beautiful uh, of a music video it was going to be, how poignant, how sincere. Just, I mean, you know, it's, it's made people cry. Yeah, well, it is, you know, not only the first music video made in space, which I suppose will go down now in the Guinness Book of World Records, uh, but it's it, it really is, it's quite a lovely music video. And, I mean, I don't really know uh, what else he's supposed to be doing up there. I'm not really sure. I'm glad that he made this video, though, found the time to make this video. Um, but it really, uh, it, it really is quite lovely. And, and we'll have it up at heyallyouzombies.com if you want to have a look at it. Uh, it really, if you haven't somehow, if you've managed to not see this so far, and I can't imagine how if you've been in front of a computer at all uh, in the last uh, uh, week or so, you would have seen this. Uh, there he is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I've posted a, a photo here. Uh, one of the great signature stills from the, the video, and this is that line where he says, floating in a most peculiar yeah. way. Yeah. And he just gently lifts his feet up and actually floats. Uh, that was just fantastic. Yeah, I wonder how he's feeling today. It's the first full day back on Earth. It must be just like your body is getting used to some crazy things after having been up there for so long. I, I just saw on Twitter that they're, they're advertising he's holding his first press conference already. Wow. And wow. That blows my mind because I'd be completely fine with the guy if he had to take a week off before he yeah. did anything like that. I mean, when he arrived, the first thing he did was, was vomit. 
and then have to be carried away from the Soyuz capsule because gravity is returned and he can't walk anymore. I mean, it's right. just, yeah, astonishing. Wow. Well, um, it's very cool. And David Bowie has, uh, he's given his blessing to this. He loves it. He hasn't made an official statement because apparently he's not making official statements these days. He's just releasing new songs. Uh, but he's, uh, he's pleased, apparently. And I would be too. On, um, on his Facebook page, there is, um, I guess it's from his staff. Yeah. They, 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 they call it perhaps the most poignant version of the song that's ever been recorded. Uh, he used the phrase "Hello, space boy" uh, at the top. Of it. That was that was kind of fun. Well, uh, yeah. I'm looking at that right now. So it says "Hello, space boy." Um, uh, here's what his tweet said: A revised version of David Bowie's "Space Boy" recorded by Commander Chris Hatfield on board the International Space Station. Oh, with thanks to M. Griner, Joe Corcoran. Oh, there's some cool uh, names involved here. Um, yeah, possibly the most poignant version of the song ever created, and you may recognize the name of one of those involved in its creation. Uh, we're talking about Chris's fellow Canadian, the lovely M. Griner, that's right, who was part of David Bowie's live band in 99 and 2000. Yeah, uh, she came up with the, the opening piano sequence that you hear in his version, of Hatfield's version, uh, was, was created by her to try to, you know, change the song a little bit, make it a little bit more, I guess, um, thoughtful, introspective, sad. Right. Right. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't seen this before. That, and you would think, as such a Bowie geek, I would have. Uh, <laughs> I would have seen this. But uh, um, M is uh, great on her own. M Griner. She uh, releases records on her own and uh, has, you know, as I say, played with David Bowie uh, in in you know ten or twelve or thirteen years ago now. Uh, but uh, check out her music. She uh, she was on Canada AM a while ago. She was fantastic, and I've seen her perform a few times. So uh, she's worth having a look at. Yeah, no, she's got her own blog. Um, she's, she writes about the whole experience. She says, funny enough that at, at all the years that she played with David Bowie, she never got to do uh, Space Oddity. Mm. So this was a big, huge, you know, yeah, personal cheer for her to be able to do it. Yeah. I thought it was amazing that uh, my understanding – now, I'm interested to know what you think of this because my understanding of the original Space Oddity, based on an interview I heard with Bowie, he said that his interpretation was that it's not about the tragic death of Major Tom, but that Major Tom, while he's up there, makes the decision he doesn't want uh, humanity anymore. He's going to stay up there, and he rejects ground control and refuses to come back. Well, that's what I've always thought of it as being sort of about the endless possibilities of what would happen after the song fades out. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, a, it's meant to be a tragic song at all. And, um, uh, you know, Bowie is interesting uh, because... I don't know when he said that exactly, uh, but if you ask him about it two years later, he would be like, well, it's a tragic song in which he, you know, uh, it, he ch tends to change his mind a lot or keep things interesting uh, somehow by, by constantly changing the stories of what he, uh, uh, of his history. I think like all great rock stars, what he understands and what sort of people in the public eye understood maybe perhaps of that generation, because now it's all about like just, you know, burying yourself uh, literally Kardashian style out in front of everyone. So everyone knows every aspect of your life. But, uh, you know, rock stars like uh, Mick Jagger and David Bowie understood and understand that the myth is never as interesting or no, the, the reality is never as interesting as the myth. 
And so if you like Mick Jagger and like David Bowie, change your stories constantly. It makes it almost virtually impossible to track down the, the actual truth in a lot of these stories, thereby creating this great myth, this, this mythology that, that uh, goes, uh, or that, 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 that boys up their their story and you never get to know them that well and if you don't if you can't know them that well they're still mysterious and uh they can still surprise you and do interesting things and i think that uh um, that's one of the things that has made bowie so interesting to read about and to to follow for the you know decades and decades that i've kind of obsessed about it is that uh, you never know quite what to expect from him because you can never predict what he's going to do next because you don't really fully know the the the, the man which is great right and i i think that in doing um a version that's specific to his situation they changed some of the lyrics of the song um you know most people say well it's to avoid that tragic ending but i don't think so i think it's it's just to try to suit the situation that he was in you know here's a song that regardless of how you interpret it it's about closure it's about uh, departure of some sort it's about communicating with people back at earth and and he took those three themes i think and did a great job of turning it about here is a man who's who's about to come to the end of, of probably one of the most defining experiences of his life yeah. uh, Hadfield has said that while he's been up there, oddly enough, he felt more connected to the people down below uh, than when he was 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 sharing the same planet with us. That just the exchange of sharing tweets and photographs made him so much closer. So for for him, he's kind of lamenting the departure of this incredible experience and using that song to express it. And I thought he did an amazing job uh, just doing that with very by being very simple, not having to try to to add anything more to it than than what was necessary. Right. I, I'm just reading this uh, David Bowie uh, message. He, he, the last line of it is, planet Earth is blue and there's nothing left for Chris Hadfield to do. Safe home, safe travels home, Commander. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, now, I will warn you, if you, are gonna see, if you haven't seen the video yet and you're now Googling it, trying to find it, don't read the comments. Stay away from all the, the trolls that are out there. There's, uh, it's amazing how within the first five minutes, uh, it, that video already had about 24 downvotes. It's amazing the, the, the number of, of conspiracy theories and people who are just attacking it from all angles. The one I will share because it's entertaining is that people have attacked the video for uh, inserting fake lens flares to try to be like J.J. Abrams' Star yeah, Trek movies. Yeah, it's funny because, uh, of course, they're not fake lens flares. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people haven't quite figured it out yet. But it's, uh, it, chances are J.J. Abrams has seen footage from outer space, noticed the lens flares, and put them in his Star Trek movie. J.J. Uh, no, no, Abrams actually got them from Steven Spielberg. Oh, okay. Spielberg is the king of the lens flare. And uh, he uses them. They're, they're in a lot of his uh, late 80s, or like, you know, sort of uh, mid to... 80s to mid 90s movies there's lens flares all over the place and and it is something it's kind of like uh linus's security blanket or something for jj abrams apparently he loves them and the new star trek movie is ripe with uh lens flares they're all over the place and it's interesting because it's in 3d 
So these lens flares seem to be coming off the screen at you a little bit. And I don't mind a lens flare or two. I think that they're quite, quite beautiful. And I, 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 I don't maybe necessarily need as many as there are in Star Trek Into Darkness. But this weird thing where they're coming at you like this is, uh, I think, needs to be addressed next time. I'm not sure that uh, it's one of the things that I found distracting about the movie, which in the movie is fantastic. So much fun. But uh, the, the lens flares need a bit of uh, adjustment, I think. I guess if you, if you intuitively feel the need to duck when yeah. a lens flare goes across the screen, it's kind of overdone. Yeah, you should rethink the lens flare. Yeah. But uh, in the case of Chris Hadfield's um, video, as far as I know, those are real lens flares. I mean, this is a video that's not produced by Hollywood or any major uh, – it's his son working with some talented people here in Canada, but it's, it's not a big-budget thing. I mean yeah. – I don't, I don't see them hiring a digital CGI effects team to add lens flares and get it in time done for, you know, Sunday before he leaves and comes down to earth. Yeah, that's and right. Yeah, I know. I, people, uh, you know, Angelina Jolie had a double mastectomy uh, earlier, well, you know, sometime over the last three months, and she announced it today. And so uh, there's a site that I go to called Hollywood uh, uh, Elsewhere, and uh, the story on Hollywood Elsewhere was simply reported as um, the, the headline was Brave Lady. And then it was quotes from the op-ed piece that she wrote about it uh, in the New York Times. And people are, uh, you know, the, then the, the <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is, it, it, I guess it's just too easy to be cynical. Right, but but someone writes brilliant career move. She gets sympathy of having cancer without actually needing to have it. People wrote, um, you know, uh, the the headline, as I said, was brave lady. Some guy writes, firefighters are brave. She's just rich and pragmatic, and it goes on and on and on. I mean, uh, it, it just it, it's it's it, to me so unfeeling, and I you know, and so kind of. Uh, people just trying to be clever, I guess, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it, you know, I always think if you're going to write in, a, in a, a, a comment form, whether it's on, you know, Hollywood Elsewhere or on Facebook or on YouTube or wherever it is, never write anything that you wouldn't say to the person's face. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to go, well, I'd say that to his face. Yeah, well, let's see. Let's see if you actually would. Because it's been my experience that you won't, that people don't. Uh, that when there's an actual human uh, attached to the comments that you're making, uh, that it becomes a little uh, more difficult to be uh, troll-like. Yeah, and I think sometimes uh, people do it, they feel under the guise that you are, are poking those who are overinflated, that celebrities make themselves large targets, that uh, maybe that comment is no different than the kind of things that Jon Stewart says late at night. But there's a big difference between the two. There's a difference between someone who's being satirical and trying to make an intelligent point and mm -hmm. someone who's just trying to prove that they don't feel anything, yeah. you know, uh, that kind of troll sort of mentality. But it, it's, it's kind of insane uh, that I think part of it's laziness. People don't want to have to think. Uh, what Angelina Jolie has written in her op-ed piece is going to force people to have to think about her situation and the choices that she's made. And it's much easier to just to make a, a, you know, a comment like that, a snark, rather than have to sit down and actually think about what it is that she's saying. Right. Well, I'm also I'm just I'm looking here again. I'm guessing that these are all men as well. 
Uh, well, one woman, rest men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, I, I just, there was a, a, a thread on Facebook over the weekend with Juve Ball going back and forth with a, a number of people. And, you know, he is someone who polarizes people. You either uh, love his movies, pardon me, you either love his movies or you can't stand them. And, you know, I tend to fall more in the latter category, but whatever, you know, he's on my Facebook page. I find him amusing so occasionally. And, uh, man, the abuse he takes, no wonder his movies are incoherent. I'd be half crazy, too, if I had to read that every day on my Facebook page. I could not believe the stuff that people say to him. Now, frankly, he kind of eggs them on a little bit occasionally. But, um, uh, man, I, I was, I mean, you know, people, I'm going to come to your house and dig your eyes out with spoons so you can't see and make any more movies and stuff like that. I mean, just, it was really something. Well, I'm in the vote that he deserves all the abuse that he gets. If, if Uwe Boll is, in my books, the worst director of all time, if I could punch him out in a, in a ring because he did offer, I would do that. Yeah, well, I, I, know, I know a guy that got in the ring with him. Uh, well, there, he, he um, I mean, what he didn't do, he, he didn't reveal to anybody that he had taken boxing lessons and something yeah, no, he's done he himself. And he brought in a couple of web you know, review geeks to, to do a boxing lesson. But the, the, the crime with Uwe Boll is that he took something that people felt very endearing, this whole culture of video games, and he basically, um, just for the sake of making money, created a series of trash movies, not showing any degree of respect for it uh, whatsoever. Uh, and, and unfortunately, he seemed to be very successful in it in terms of getting enough money to produce these horrible travesty of films that just, it's, it's the equivalent of urinating over all the, the work and, and all art and culture that people have tried to put together over the years. Not a very nice man in terms of, of what he has done. But what he does, I mean, you know, in terms of, of getting these movies done, is you know they always have uh, a star in them that they can sell to audiences overseas. It doesn't matter if the movies make money here or whether they make their money on DVD or whatever. Uh, there are action movies that are just gory enough to appeal to an overseas audience who tends to still buy into all that stuff. And I mean, as do we to a certain extent. But you know those monies, those movies have made money before he even starts shooting them. That's oh, the yeah. crazy thing. As long as they get finished they're going to make money, you know, because they're not costing $200 million. It's not Star Trek Into Darkness. They're costing, you know, substantially less than that. And they, they get made in the Czech Republic or in Vancouver or somewhere where it's cheap and there's tons of tax credits. And uh, they, uh, they they make money. So that's how Juve Balls had a, had, had a career. I mean, it's not, well, and there's it's been... not that he's, he's vindicated uh, every time out that he gets to make another movie because he's such a genius. It's that, you know, yeah. he's probably a far better businessman than he is a, a film director. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, my understanding is that um, uh, he doesn't get huge audiences for his films, but it's just the, 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 maybe it's the tax shelter situation in Germany. I understand that there's been certain provisions that allow him to kind of do this where he doesn't have to make money. He'll make money personally off the project, but the movie itself doesn't have to make money. And just the way that he kind of ravages one uh, video game license, and many people feel that that doesn't give that property the chance to actually be given a, a real movie that, you know, in many ways he's kind of ruining it. I don't know how true that is. Sometimes films get made and it ties up the license. Roger Corman had the um, rights for the Fantastic Four for a very long time because he kept, 
making really crappy movies of that. But I guess my difference is that while I appreciate the movies of, say, Ed Wood or Roger Corman or Lloyd Kaufman, uh, in each of those cases, you have people who genuinely are trying to make movies. Maybe not, not great movies, right. but they're trying to make movies of entertainment. They are fans of movies. You know, They may have their own little business schemes of how they're making money. Uwe Boll, I do not believe, in my heart of hearts, is a fan of movies or likes movies at all. Huh. This is not about making movies for him. It's not about art. It's not about enjoying movies. It's just merely a way for, you know, it's a means to an end and not a very, a very shallow end. Right. So I, I, you know, I love trash, but I'm not a fan of him. It's interesting that you mentioned Lloyd Kaufman because the Toxic Avenger apparently now is being remade. And I mean, there's been talk of this for a very long time. It, it you know, it was uh, made in the 80s, in 1984. And, you know, was a, a cult hit and kind of made trauma films a lot of money and made them what they are today. And there have been a number of sequels and, uh, you know, there was an animated cartoon series and all that stuff, right? You know, it's, it, it was it was very good to Lloyd and the boys over there. And uh, now they've been uh, there's been rumors that it's going to be remade for forever. A script's been kicking around for a while. Now apparently it's being remade starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh no way! Arnold's not playing the Toxic Avenger. They're they're rewriting the story somewhat, but <laughs> I, I, that, that my mind just blew a little bit when I heard that. And, and um, you know, I will always have the original Toxic Avenger, and I love that movie. But uh, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to make of this big. What will I guess be a big budget Hollywood thing? I mean, Schwarzenegger doesn't come cheap, so. No, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I would love to see it. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that you have to kind of feel like the original had its charm right. because it was low budget, yeah. because it was Lloyd Kaufman having fun with it. Uh, I don't know if a big budget version is going to retain that charm. Sometimes that stuff just does not translate. Oh, no, it won't have any charm at all. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It'll be a much different thing. But, you know, it's. It, it, Again, it's not like you know the movie will be ruined. Uh, the original Toxic Avenger will still be sitting on your shelf in DVD form. This will just be a, a another another version of it out there. But um, I'm uh, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious to see whether this comes to pass or not. That'll be amazing. So Star Trek Into Darkness. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, it comes out this week and. One of the uh, the pleasures of this movie, and there are many pleasures of this movie, this is, uh, and this is not a review, I'm not allowed to review it for a couple of days, uh, but I can say that it is um, a, a pure popcorn movie that is so much fun to watch, and I just had a blast at it. I had a lot of fun watching this movie. And part of the pleasure of it was uh, Zachary Quinto as Mr. Spock. I loved Mr. Spock in this. I think that um, they, they uh, because of, maybe it's because it's on the big screen, and I haven't seen the, the original series movies on the big screen for a long time. So I don't know, uh, uh, and so I can't really comment on it, but in this movie, uh, they, Zachary Quinto seems to uh, have much more of a battle between his Vulcan side and his human side, and he displays that subtly but interestingly and uh so i just had to look around and found out some you know uh information about spock 
uh, who was, of course, originally brought to life by Leonard Nimoy in the original series, 66 to uh, 69. He's been voted one of the 50 greatest television characters ever. There have been cartoons, video games. There's an SNL uh, parody. There's comic books. There's fan fiction. Uh, and, of course, the movie. So this is, you know, a, a character who I don't know exactly where he rates. Apparently Dracula and Sherlock Holmes are the most uh, uh, used characters from, you know, of, of the 20th century. I wonder where Spock sits in there because he turns up in so many different things. Uh, but uh, uh, in the original pitch for the series, Gene Roddenberry um, hadn't really fleshed out the character uh, particularly, apparently. And and he said, oh, he's probably half Martian. Uh, we want him to have red skin and kind of semi-pointed ears. And uh, the name of the, the planet uh, was, was uh, I guess, going to be Mars, although eventually they settled on Vulcan because Gene Roddenberry felt that, uh, that man might actually land on Mars sometime during the show's run, and it would take some of the mystery away from his character if people landed on Mars and found out that there were no pointy-eared Martians walking around. So um, the part was originally offered to DeForest Kelly, who is better known for playing Dr. Bones in the show. Uh, he turned it down. Uh, and it was also offered, and I didn't know this until I started to poke around, it was also offered to Adam West. And uh, Adam West also turned it down, and then Leonard Nimoy uh, signed on. Uh, 20 years later, though, probably in the mid-'80s, 85 or 86, um, DeForest Kelly played Bones and Spock in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. There's a little cameo in there. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, arched eyebrows and pointed ears uh, almost didn't make it past the NBC censor. The censors were concerned that Spock, with all the, you know, that looked satanic. They thought, and they, they couldn't imagine that they would have a, like a devil-like character on, uh, on their screen. Yeah. So uh, they, uh, they said, you know, you got to change that. And Roddenberry explained to them that by giving this character the slight look of the devil, as he called it, he thought that that might be provocative to women. And as it turns out, Spock became a sex symbol. And uh, like a, a huge sex symbol, apparently, uh, during the, the run of the show. Here, and I'm just going to throw a picture up here. Uh, this is uh, Zachary Quinto, <laughs> Leonard Nimoy, and then the animated Spock as well. Um, uh, but yeah, so Spock became a sex symbol and received boatloads of, of uh, mail every week. And apparently, uh, Leonard Nimoy... Uh, had to be uh, very careful when he uh, ate out or was, um, you know, anywhere that uh, uh, he could be attacked by people because women would throw themselves at him, or so he says. Um, the, the, the character is always referred to as Mr. or Commander Spock, uh, but his full name is, and I don't know how to pronounce it, and in the episode, This Side of Paradise, he says, you, as a human, humans can't pronounce this apparently. As a human, you can never pronounce this. But it's spelled S apostrophe C-H-N, and then the middle name is T apostrophe G-A-I Spock. So uh, however you want to say that, I don't know. Um, Transformer character Shockwave was inspired by Spock. And uh, there are a number of records that uh, have been, uh, you know, tributes to uh 
to uh, Star Trek over the years, but I liked one uh, that I've read about. I haven't heard. I've read about it. I've heard a little bit of it. You can find little snippets of it online. A guy uh, called George Duke, uh, who's a keyboard uh, player, won tons of Grammys and stuff, but uh, he released two songs, one called Spock Gets Funky and another one called the Vulcan Mind Probe, which are kind of like disco songs. And then there was a Swedish synth pop band called Spock, but like an acronym, S period P period OC. Uh, and they released several uh, Star Trek inspired albums, including one called Five Year Mission. And then of course, Leonard Nimoy uh, uh, sang uh, songs like Highly Illogical and Visit to a Sad Planet, which he released as singles. And if you see the new commercial, uh, oh, yeah. He and Zachary Quinto have made, uh, he actually sings the Bilbo Baggins song, which was another one of his singles. Yeah, and I mean, today, uh, having Leonard Nimoy sing a song about Bilbo Baggins would, you know, makes complete sense. But at the time that he did it, it was the time in which nobody cared about Lord of the Rings except the most closet geekiest individuals out there. So when he did that, that was just incredible. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> It, you keep talking. Be, uh, I just thought of something that I have here. Ah, he's going off to the uh, Richard Krause reference. The archives. Uh, it kind of is, resembles the warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. But, uh, things do get opened. Boxes do get explored. There are many glowing artifacts at night. Ah, here we are. <laughs> there you go. The two sides of Leonard Nimoy. Spock and Leonard. And then look at that on the back. And songs like Highly Illogical, The Difference Between Us, Once I Smiled. And uh, that song, and there's little descriptions after uh, each of the songs here. So Highly Illogical, it's reactions to some earthly behavior. Uh, the Difference Between Us, could Spock ever feel hidden, deep emotional love problems? Could he react as a human in a romantic situation? Um, and this is, this is side one is the Mr. Spock side. A uh, song called Once I Smiled. Once Spock's emotional barriers were broken down, and for a short while he tasted bittersweet romantic experience. And then, of course, the Leonard Nimoy side. Uh, there's the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins, uh, Cotton Candy. It's a modern thought image in a musical uh, setting written by one of the camera crew on the Star Trek series. That's <laughs> awesome. But there you yep. have it. The two sides from the archive. The two sides of Leonard Nimoy. And that's the kind of thing that never happens anymore. Because if you have a big popular series, no studio is going to allow their actors to go off and record albums and tie-ins. and Yeah, not fun. so much. I mean, uh, you know, I guess Eddie Murphy released a record. Jimmy Fox, I mean, I, I, guess, I, I guess it happened. But this is a real tie-in to the show. Yeah, you're right. I guess yeah. you don't really see that so much anymore. Yeah. Could you imagine David Morrissey releasing a, an album devoted to the governor? The governor's back, you know, uh, doing a whole Walking Dead acoustic version. That would be crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, there were a lot of people in that era um, who were releasing albums. Everybody's tried to, to do a, a shot at it. Uh, William Shatner and Michelle Nichols. Uh, Tim Curry has a whole bunch of Broadway tunes that are fantastic. I mean, you know, it's crazy. Well, Curry actually had a, 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 a singing career, and his big song was uh, I Do the Rock, which is a great song. I'm going to write that down and remember to put it on the website because it's pretty great if we yeah. can find it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I can't wait to see the movie. Uh, although the vibrations that are out there seem to be very enthusiastic and positive for it, so that's it good. Is. 
it's it's good stuff. Uh, you know, I'll tell you. You know, film critics are the worst people in the world. They are uh, uh, heartless. With if they do have hearts, they're like little cherry pits in their chests that that haven't beaten in years. They are, uh, you know, uh, they like the sound of their own voice. They, you know, all this stuff. It just goes on. I could go on and on and on. I'm one of them, and I can go on and on and on about them. And it, so it's pretty rare that you get a spontaneous burst of positivity at the end of a movie. And at the Star Trek Into Darkness screening, there was a round of applause afterwards. And I haven't heard that. Man, I can't remember the last time I heard that in a in a in a room full of press. You know, this isn't uh, what they call a promo screening where you have it's at night and you have you know inviting on tickets off the radio and yeah. Yeah. no, this was this was uh, ten o'clock in the morning and you know a bunch of grumpy uh, you know press people sitting around drinking coffee and eating donuts and watching this movie and there was applause afterwards. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, I promised I would explain this rather strange photograph that we showed at the beginning. Yes. I'll bring it back up again and tell you what this has to do with Queen guitarist Brian May, who is uh, probably one of the most interesting people to, to sort of follow and explore in terms of what he's done after his career. Before he joined Queen, he actually was studying astronomy at university. And um, after his big career at Queen, completed his doctorate. So he is now Dr. Brian May. But he's also uh, one of the leading collectors and experts on 3D and stereo uh, view photographs. He tweets them on Twitter. So if you happen to have one of those old-fashioned where you see the, the two sides and it combines to create a 3D image, he puts them on Twitter for you if you want to check them out. Right. But recently, he's taken interest in an odd situation involving badgers in the United Kingdom. <laughs> Uh, it's it's bizarre. Like lots of celebrities have these little pet causes. Yep. Save the whales, save the dolphins. And at first glance, it seemed like Brian May had sort of become susceptible to that because he suddenly starts his whole career uh, campaign called Save the Badgers. But it really is about uh, one man getting really frustrated at a lack of common sense. Sometimes you have these things that happen with government that just really stupid. So here's what's going on over in the United Kingdom. They've had. Uh, in Europe, several outbreaks of tuberculosis amongst cattle. Right. Now, uh, I think if you've ever read a Jane Austen novel, you know what tuberculosis is. It was that horrible disease that plagued uh, humans for a long time. People who contracted it, you just sort of slowly suffered and died. Thankfully, we, we learned how to quarantine ourselves. We developed vaccines. It's no longer a threat in our lives. But in Europe, they have this threatening cattle. And last year, 26,000 heads of, of cattle died due to tuberculosis. So typically what you do with tuberculosis is you would uh, do a strict regimen of quarantine and vaccination. Right. Uh, that's what we've done in Canada. I looked up the, the, the Canadian approach to this disease. And according to the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, uh, they say here... Da -da 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 how is disease controlled? Yes. Uh, bovine tuberculosis is a reportable disease in Canada. What it is reported, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency follows a strict testing and eradication program. Regulations require that all infected animals as well as exposed susceptible animals be destroyed. This is the only proven way to eliminate the disease. Well, in Europe, several farmers are suspicious of that. 
They don't like bureaucracy. They don't like people coming around and inspecting their cows, and they're suspicious that vaccination isn't going to make their food edible, and they'll go out of business. So instead, uh, they have kind of adopted almost a folk wisdom where they feel it's the badgers to blame. They believe that badgers are giving tuberculosis to their cows. Huh. And when this story first surfaced... And is there any evidence that really suggests this, or is it just kind of farmers going, <laughs> those badgers? Well, I, uh, I mean, it's confusing over there. There's so much spin. But uh, our Canadian wildlife experts say that tuberculosis does not occur naturally in the wild. Right. Meaning that if you see an animal, and they refer to things like deer, uh, goat, moose that has tuberculosis here in Canada, they got it from our own farms. That it's a, it's a human disease. We brought it with our own captive animals. And then, you know, if the wildlife have it, it's basically on us. We're, we're responsible for that. In Europe, though, they don't believe that. Uh, in Europe, there's a growing sense that it, tuberculosis comes from badgers and that badgers are visiting farms and giving it to the cattle. Right. So instead of um, using vaccination, many farmers have been calling for what's called a cull, which is to have governments go and slaughter the badgers in the wild the wildlife. Badgers are protected in England. They're a, a much loved character. There's little cartoon characters and you know Saturday morning shows devoted towards it. So and I think the, the feeling was a lot of people when they heard this story was, <laughs> you know, eventually common sense will prevail and the whole thing will disappear. And that didn't happen. The government has announced that uh, they're going to roll out a plan this summer. They're going to send people into the, the fields, and they're going to slaughter 70% of the badgers in the wild. It is believed, according to government programmers, that if they do this, then tuberculosis in the cattle may go down by as much as 16%. That's one six. Right. Which isn't very much. And certainly doesn't sound like you're, you're, you're moving towards a cure. And I'm just, I'm just putting up a picture of a badger here. Uh, there you go. You want to kill that? How? Why would you want to kill that? Look at that. Oh, he's very sweet. He's very cute. Um. So yeah, and I think you know Brian May, being a science enthusiast, started to to listen to the whole thing. He just thought it was just preposterous. Of course, you have to quarantine uh, cows in Canada. We have it under control. And what happens here is that if a farm is detected to have just one animal with tuberculosis, we shut down the entire farm. And every animal that's contracted the disease is destroyed. Uh, farmers then have to clean up the, the entire farm. That means burning and destroying all the feed, uh, you know, cleaning the equipment. And when they get to a point where it's considered acceptable, that farm has to remain closed down for 30 days before they can introduce new animals. And the government supplies uh, financial aid to those farmers up to a certain limit. But I guess this is not happening in Europe. So Brian May has decided to start an entire campaign to stop this whole insanity. And uh, what he initially did, this is crazy. I mean, he started up a whole website, and they started to produce graphics. But uh, let me see if I can pull up the video that I want to show. Um, there is, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, Richard, but there is a, a viral meme or mem about badgers by a name, man named Weeble. Uh, about six years ago, it became viral across the internet. There was this little flash animation of badgers going badger, 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 badger. It's one of the like the top ten virals of all time. The guy who created that animation, his name's Weeble, reached out to Brian May and said, "I love badgers. Can I help out?" And so Brian May said, "This is fantastic. Of course you can." And he looked up the animation. 
and said, you know what? I think we should make a special version of Badger, 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 as the calling card for everybody. So he has actually had the man who created that original animation come to his private home, into their mixing studio, and they have created a new version of Badger, 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 in which they combine the original Badger, Badger with music of Flash. Flash! Oh, yeah. And universe. I will play as best as I can here. The the video. This is it here. All right. Get ready. I'm going to press play on it in a moment. There we go. It's certainly very catchy, and what I liked when it started, that that guy in the front there, his foot started tapping to the Badger song. It was very funny. Yeah, Uh, and that's just a rough cut because something magical has happened. He's had a number of people come forth to say that they would like to lend their voices to the the final Badger song that will happen. And uh, so he actually has, has been contacted by Brian Blessed, who if you're a fan of the movie Flash Gordon, Yes. Uh, he's the one who did the the, the line, Gold, you know, Flash Gordon's alive, the big conspiracy. <laughs> uh, he's actually going to record a line of him saying, Badgers are alive, and they're going to incorporate that. Awesome. Uh, he also managed to get uh, this lovely lady. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Uh, Jane Judy, J- Judy Dench, yes. Yes. So let's see if I can just press play. There we go. <laughs> that's awesome yeah uh and meatloaf has also recorded something for the whole experience as well but it's it's just been blossoming and going absolutely crazy uh you've got uh people sending in photos and little images that they've created to brian may here's uh the flash version of badgers <laughs> <laughs> it has been a very entertaining campaign. These are all things that he's been posting on Twitter. Uh, and, of course, one of the other great scenes from Flash are the, uh, the Badger Hawkmen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then um, to really just to try to draw as much attention as he can, another group has actually created their own music video. I'll post it up called the Badger Boys. And it's more of a, a ballad that you would have in pubs and drinking tunes. But what I thought was amazing, that photo I originally showed you, was of a flash mob that he organized 
And there we are. And I've got a little bit of footage I can show you. These are people who you know, responded to the call, dressed up as badgers. They all assembled down Trafalgar Square and danced to the badger song uh, for everybody to listen to. So I'm going to post it up here. I'll get it to press play in a moment. That's not the one I want. There we are. Here we go. All right, so there we go. Wow. I love the. Um, is it working? What's the response? Uh, you know, I think unfortunately all it's doing is sort of preaching to the choir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, my my feeling is, and this is something that's been happening a lot with a lot of government, is that they don't really care about what's true or what's false. Uh, that you have politicians who only care about who's going to vote for them. And there's a large number of farmers, and they have some pretty heavy influence, and you know they're willing to kill a bunch of badgers if it makes them happy and still gets their votes. Right. Um, the, the the call that it's called, the, the, this program to slaughter these badgers, is only experimental, meaning the government has agreed in one small county to try this out and then sit back and see if there's any kind of effect that happens. Uh, but for the gang that that has rising to Brian May's uh, cause, they all point out that. You know, at the end of the day, tuberculosis is a very serious thing, and it really is dangerous for us to all sit around and kind of, you know, get involved in these little stupid campaigns and wars when really you need to take care of the, the disease. And we already know how to do so because we've eliminated in other countries like Canada and plus from our own society. So, Right. Well, it would be interesting to see what happens. Uh, in the meantime, it's a pretty cool uh, pop culture story. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously I don't expect anybody watching here in Canada to really care what's going on across the ocean. We've got our own concerns and lots of things to, to get involved with. I just thought that here's this guy, Queen guitarist Brian May, doing something I never would have guessed that he would have done. And it's been very entertaining to watch his creativity respond to this kind of a situation. Right. I'm just looking up uh, more uh, badgers here. Badger, the badger meme. I think, is this a still from the Badger, Badger, Badger meme? Let me just see here. See if I can pull it up. Hang on. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> weekly. Uh, it came out about the same time as, you know, peanut butter jelly time, yeah, yeah, peanut yeah. butter, and was one of those incessant memes that everybody just kept repeating again and again and again for no apparent reason other than it was kind of fun to do so. And so, uh, yeah, amazing that they've kind of latched on to it. I mean, who would have thought that little flash animation moving around would one day reach the point where you've got Queen guitarist Brian May partnering with the guy who did that and doing a, a guitar solo version, a peeling face guitar version of, of Badger, 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 Badger. Uh, is, just, uh, yeah, it's nuts. That is very cool. That is very cool. Um, that may be uh, that may be it. We're going to post a lot of this. There's a lot of we're video heavy, heavy, heavy this week. So I do the Rock by Tim Curry. If I can find it, you'll be watching it soon because it's pretty cool. 
Uh, and I'm going to try and see what I can find from this because I'm sure that somewhere out there are videos of him singing, um, let me see, uh, Love of the Common People, a song that Nimoy enjoys singing on personal appearances since it reflects his own philosophy. I'm sure that's out there somewhere. <laughs> and we'll find it and we will post it on the site. So I guess you, you feel that Star Trek has been given new life. That, you know, oh, I think so. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I interviewed John Cho. Uh, maybe we'll post that on the site, too. I'll give you the John Cho interview. Okay. Uh, he plays Sulu. And, uh, you know, he said that, uh, and I, I felt kind of the same way about it, what he said. I'm older than he is, uh, but I was still not old enough, really, to see the original show when it came out. I was very young. And uh, I saw them all in reruns and that sort of thing. And I liked it. It was never really, you know, it, it wasn't appointment television for me or anything. Uh, but it's, it, he said that when he finally, um, when he finally got cast as Zulu and said, okay, I got to go back and watch all these shows just so I have my, he said, I'd seen them all. He said, I hadn't realized that I'd seen them all. And he said, I remembered them all. And I knew, you know, some of they are just sort of part of our consciousness, you know, like the Star Trek, certainly for people of a certain age who, you know, uh, uh, when cable came in and, you know, before, when, when everyone first started to get cable, man, Star Trek was one of those shows that was on every single channel. I mean, you just, you, you watched it a lot because it was on a lot. And so um, I, I fall very much into that, in, into that realm. So I'm not uh, a purist in any way of these. I think that the new movies are a new thing. And I, I, I like that they, pay homage to to what came before them but i don't care if the timelines are a bit off from the regular from the first series people do people do and this may take a bit of a knock for that this movie from the real hardcores but i'm not one of those people i i think what jj abrams has done here is breathed new life into these characters um and 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 you know kept very true to the essence of what Star Trek was all about, but done something uh, a little different with them. And the movies are spectacularly good fun. And I think, you know, he will continue to make these. I mean, if he can wedge these in between making Star Wars movies every now and again, uh, this could go on for years and years. Oh, it sounds great. I can't wait to see it. And I guess we'll, we'll return to that topic again. And, and perhaps next time we can wedge in some zombies or something. Yes, Absolutely. All right, then. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Don't forget to go to our website, heyallyouzombies.com. We'll have all the videos that we've talked about here as well as other great links. It's also a great place for you to kind of contact us. Let us know if there's any topics you'd like to talk about. If you've got Badger stories you'd like to share or, you know, some great Leonard Nimoy songs, uh, we would love to hear them. And we thank you as always for any kind of feedback that you offer, whether you press like on our Tumblr account or you give us a rating over on iTunes, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, all of that is really, really helpful, and we do pay attention to it.